So are any of you fans of the TV game show Jeopardy? Any Jeopardy fans? We've got a few. Uh, some of you probably watch Jeopardy every night, right? I mean, I, I have friends, they fall asleep every night watching Jeopardy, which kind of, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's kind of their life. They get to live it the way they want. And so you know how that Jeopardy thing works, right? There's, there's answers, and they're supposed to respond with a question, right? Is that kind of how it works? So if I said to you, he took two animals of every kind onto the ark, you would say, Very good. Who who said who is Moses? Who was that? (laughs) And if I said to you, these two sisters had a brother who was raised from the dead. You would say, who was Mary and Martha? So you know how to play the game. And of course, every night, the, the game finishes with what? Final Jeopardy. Not double Jeopardy. It goes on after double Jeopardy. <laughs> so Final Jeopardy. And you all know the Final Jeopardy tune because you hear it so often, right? There you go. So I've often been fearful being in a group of people where the Bible comes up as a topic, you know. Uh, what could be more embarrassing to be a pastor and have five questions and you don't know the answer to one of them? That, that's, a, that's kind of one of my nightmares. But uh, as we come this morning again to the life of Jesus with his disciples, we're coming to what I like to think of in kind of a way as final jeopardy. Because Jesus poses to his disciples, <clears throat> what was that? <clears throat> Jesus poses to his disciples a very critical question. And so I want you to come this morning with me back to Mark's Gospel, and we're in chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus has taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which is about 26 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And so again, it appears to me that he's kind of trying to withdraw for a little quiet time with the disciples to instruct them and to teach them. And in this particular case, to ask them their response to this most critical of questions. And so Peter went out, or Jesus went out, got to read, verse 27, Mark chapter 8. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he wanted them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that it is imperative, uh, maybe even beyond imperative, if there's a beyond imperative, it is imperative that people correctly understand who Jesus is. That's imperative. That's important. It's critical. And so as you come to this passage, that's kind of the topic on the table. It's final jeopardy time. And so I want you to notice, first of all, as I've tried to organize my thoughts, the question that Jesus asks his disciples is a critical one. And he asks them first, kind of for the popular opinion. What, what do people say? What, what are the people saying about me? And then he turns to the disciples and says, what do you say about me? That's the critical question. What do you say? And I think today, as I was reflecting on this, how common it is for us to be concerned about identity theft. Anybody had your identity stolen where somebody didn't, you know, um, I have friends that didn't know that they had bought a condo in Florida. Uh, some, someone had stolen their identity, had gone through the whole process of purchasing this condo down in Florida, and all of a sudden they started getting this paperwork. It was like, what's going on? Uh, it happens. In fact, when I left for my bicycle, my bicycle trip back east, uh, we got to LAX early in the morning, and my friend Don, who was kind of leading our group, he decided we were going to eat breakfast at the airport. Have you ever eaten breakfast at the airport? Yeah, yeah a little sweet roll, a cup of coffee, $26 out the door. It's really cool. Um, but Don was in line ahead of me, and we were going through this line and ordering what we wanted. And he took out his, his credit card and, and ran it through the machine and uh, moved on. And it was my turn, and I put my card in the machine. Before we got on the airplane, Don's wife called him and said, Somebody has stolen your credit card number and bought two tickets to Mexico. Oh, wow. That quick, that fast. Wow. Thankfully, it was Don and not me. I was really happy about that. But uh, we worry a lot about identity theft. And uh, we ought to be concerned about that. It happens every day. But more important than identity theft is misidentifying who Jesus is. Much worse problem. Much more serious consequences. And so Jesus poses this question about his identity, who he is. And if you get that wrong... There's a lot of consequences that follow, right? If you misidentify who Jesus is, that's a problem. And so the disciples are responding to Jesus, and it's pretty clear that the popular opinion, people are misled, misguided, they totally missed it. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been resurrected. And if you remember the story of Herod, after he killed John the Baptist and started hearing stories about Jesus, what was his fear? What was his anxiety? Oh no, he's going back. That, that was kind of where Herod was at. And, and other people were saying, no, he's, he's Elijah. Elijah has come. And of course, Elijah was kind of the, the primary Old Testament prophet whose ministry was most marked by miracles. 
And so that'd be kind of an obvious misidentification. Because what was Jesus known for? Miracles. And so some were saying it's, it's Elijah that's come. And then others were saying it's, it's one of those Old Testament prophets that's, that's come. Totally um, misunderstanding who Jesus is. And I think of the consequences of that is the passage we read, Jesus talks there as he continues talking to them after his rebuke of Peter. He says things to them like this, and all this flows out of who he is. If any man would come after me, he must what? Deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And taking up the cross doesn't mean this is my burden I have to bear. I just have to carry this burden. The idea of the cross is death. Not just carrying the cross, but dying on the cross. And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Jesus talked and said, if anyone would, would try to save his life, what's the result going to be? He's going to lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake is going to gain it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but what? He loses his own soul. And so you think of the ultimate consequence of failing to identify Jesus correctly. And so the question that Jesus asks is a critical question, and one we need to be sure of in our own lives, and one we need to be clear about as we have opportunity to talk to others. It's a critical, critical question. Now the, the response of the disciples to this critical, critical question is the correct answer, right? It's the correct answer. And isn't it interesting that out of those 12 apostles, those 12 disciples, the first one to jump in and answer, and this is no surprise, is who? Peter. Peter's the impetuous guy. Peter's the one who has oftentimes been described as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Um, you know, it just... Doesn't always have it quite, quite there. But Peter jumps in and he says, You are the Christ, Christos, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Peter nailed it. And Matthew, in his gospel, if you read the parallel account, has Peter adding, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Peter nailed it. Correct answer. And as I've reflected on, on Peter's answer, and especially on the, the uh, response of Jesus, and comparing that to the response of the popular opinion, Jesus has been called a lot of things as we've been walking through Mark. And maybe you'll remember some of the things that have identified Jesus. Um, John the Baptist said about Jesus, what? One's coming who is mightier than I, greater than I. When Jesus was baptized, God, God the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son. And of course, that, that follows real quickly as Jesus is ministering there in the first chapter of Mark in the synagogue. And a man has an evil spirit. And the evil spirit says to Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. Another demon called him the Son of God. You have all these labels attached to Jesus, giving clues as to who he is. Popular opinion missed it. And then Jesus left other clues um, 
in what he did. What has Jesus done in the last eight chapters as we've been making our way through Mark? You think of the miracles that Jesus has performed? He has cast out demons. He has cured a leper. He has raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He has healed that paralytic that was lowered down by his friends. He healed a man with a withered hand who came to the synagogue. All these miracles and, and signs, if you will, that Jesus has been performing are providing people with clues as to who he is. And I've always been fascinated by the fact that John the Baptist, before he was executed, was sitting in prison and waiting, waiting, waiting in this dark, damp, ugly, ugly place. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he wants the disciples to ask Jesus a question. And the question that John's disciples asked Jesus was this. Are you the one we're expecting or or do we need to wait for somebody else? John was getting a little impatient with the program. Are you the expected one or are we waiting for somebody else? And I've always been fascinated with Jesus' answer to that question. Because Jesus told John's disciples, you go tell John. The blind can see, the lame can walk, the lepers are healed, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Why did Jesus tell the disciples of John to go to John and give them that answer? Why? Because those were the evidences to be expected of the coming Messiah. And so here's all these clues that are being left. And of course, the disciples weren't exactly figuring it out yet either, were they? You remember at the the end of the story we saw several weeks ago, where Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, taking a nap. And a storm comes up, the wind, the waves, that whole story. And they wake Jesus up, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up and goes, cool it, be still. And what was the question that the disciples asked? After that happened, who is this guy? They don't have it figured out. So here, Jesus poses this question to his followers. Who do people say that I am? They missed it. Misled, misguided, misdirected, miss, miss, miss. They missed it. But Peter responds on target. You're you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Son of the living God. How did Peter figure that out? How did Peter come to that conclusion? Was it because Peter was smarter than the other disciples? Was it because Peter was a more strategic thinker than the other disciples? Was it because he had some kind of an inside track to truth? No. How did Peter come to that conclusion? Well, if you read your Bible, it tells us. What did Jesus say to Peter? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. How did he come to that conclusion? 
My Father who is in heaven has made this known. And so here, these guys have been with Jesus, following him for two plus years now. And all of a sudden, Peter nails that question. How do you do that? God the Father revealed it to him. That is always the case. When when you and I came to faith, at whatever point that happened in your life, some of you, like me, came to faith as a child. Some of you maybe came to faith in your teen years. Others of you came to faith as adults. Others of you came quite a bit later in the journey, right? But we all came to faith because God the Father drew us to Jesus. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If anyone wills to do the Father's will, he'll know whether it's of God or whether I speak of myself. And so it always comes back to an issue of what? The will. If anyone is willing to know the truth. That's a heavy, heavy thought when you think about it. And oftentimes as I pray for others that have yet to come to faith, I pray out of the experience of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And if you remember the story... In Acts chapter 16, Paul comes to the city of Philippi, and this group of women are gathered down at the riverside, gathered to study scripture, to worship, and the scripture says that God opened Lydia's heart. If God doesn't open the heart, guess what? Then get open. And you know, it is imperative that people correctly identify who Jesus is. And it's a work of God the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, Jesus said. It's a work of the God's Holy Spirit to draw us to, to, to Jesus, to draw us to truth. And I see that here in this passage as it simply says of of Peter, <laughs> flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. And so that's always my prayer, always the way that I think. And so Jesus' question is critical. The apostles' answer, the disciples' answer through Peter is the correct one, thankfully. And then Jesus' response to that is very, very clear. In fact, the text says Jesus spoke plainly. He spoke plainly. And if you read your text, what is it that Jesus spoke plainly about? The Son of Man is going to be delivered up. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed. He's going to rise again. And the disciples, again, still don't get it. And it's out of that context again that Jesus says to them, as he gathers a bigger crowd around him, if anyone would come after me, which by the way is kind of our theme this year, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross, 
and follow me. To die to self, to die to my agenda, to die to my priorities, to be willing even to give up life itself for Jesus. That's a tall order. <laughs> Once you know who Jesus is, what's the appropriate response? Follow Him. Come after Him. Follow Him. And that's been uh, our prayer, our hope this year, as we've been making our way through Mark's Gospel, that our focus would be on, on following Him, drawing closer to Him, getting to know Him better, getting to love Him more deeply. But that song we just sang talks about going deeper. That's why, by the way, as a little aside, uh, my challenge to you in January was to read through the Gospels every month. Four Gospels, 90 chapters, three months. And today is October 31st, and that means if my calendar thinking is correct, tomorrow is November 1st. So it starts a new month, a new opportunity to cycle back to Matthew chapter 1 and read through the Gospels with me again. I don't know how many of you have been doing that. If you're like me, some of you got lost in the weeds and had to kind of jump back in. Um, it was really difficult for me on my bike ride for two weeks because I was up before dawn and riding late trying to find time to, to squeeze in my Bible reading. Um, that's one of the advantages, I guess, of having it in my phone, right? I can carry it with me wherever I go. But just to inundate ourselves with the truth about Jesus. It is imperative that you and I correctly understand who Jesus is. And it's imperative that as we have opportunity to engage others in conversation, that we correctly identify who Jesus is. Because the scriptures tell us that God loves us. God wants relationship with us, right? That's the heart of God. So, someone that you're talking to, someone that you engage in conversation, you can say with great confidence, God loves you. God wants relationship with you. And you can share just with just as much confidence that the scripture says there's a barrier between you and relationship with God. There's something that hinders that from happening. And the Bible calls that sin. Disobedience. Rebellion. We don't want God to rule our lives. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We want to live life on our own terms, go our own way. And that's why you have that passage in Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, we've turned everyone where? To his own way. Aren't you grateful for the second half of that verse? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so you can confidently tell people that God loves them. God wants relationship with them. But there's this, this barrier that hinders that relationship. And that's why God the Father, in, in His wise providence, sent His Son to invade human history, to live a perfect, sinless life for 33 years. A perfect life that you and I are totally incapable of living, right? And at the end of those 33 years, again, God in His providence sent his son to a Roman cross. All part of God's plan, no surprise. 
God sent his son to the Roman cross. Where again in Isaiah 53 it said, It pleased the Father to crush him. That he would die on the cross. Sacrifice for sin. To die in your place and in my place. Where we should have died. We should pay the price for our own sin. Aren't you glad you've been rescued from that? Amen. Amen. And so God calls upon us to turn from sin, what the Bible calls repentance, to turn from sin to God and to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, His sacrifice on the cross, His death, His payment for sin. We can confidently declare that and confidently declare that the Jesus who hung on the cross and paid for sin rose three days later in testimony of God's acceptance of the sacrifice. Jesus, God in human flesh, God become man, died on the cross, paid for sins, rose after three days. We can boldly, gladly proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done. And the sad truth is, in the culture in which you and I live, the world in which you and I live, misidentifies who Jesus is. I have talked to people, and maybe you have too. I have talked to people who have said to me, I love Jesus. And our first natural response to that is what? That's great, I do too. But, do they love the same Jesus that this book presents? And I have found so often, the Jesus that people love isn't this Jesus. It isn't you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Son of the Living God. It's something else. And so as I thought about this, reflecting on this passage, one of the things that just struck me so hard was this. It's not enough to love Jesus. It's not enough to love Jesus. You've got to love the right Jesus, right? You've got to love the Jesus of the Bible. And you and I live in a culture, you and I live in a world that misidentifies who Jesus is. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is what I've said several times. It's critical that people correctly identify who Jesus is. Many people believe him to be a good man, a great teacher, an example, a martyr. And all of those... Missed the mark. Peter nailed it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. All those other answers totally miss. Missed the mark. And so as I've reflected on this, I am so grateful to be a part of a church that embraces the truth about Jesus and the truth about the gospel, and is out there proclaiming that truth. You ought to give thanks every day that we as a church family, not just currently, but even historically, are outside these four walls talking to people about Jesus. Many of you have made that, that trek over to Boyle Heights. 
and have been a part of engaging people over there and sharing the gospel and taking food and clothing and other stuff, meeting physical needs and spiritual needs, and proclaiming the truth about the real Jesus. We ought to continue to be excited about those opportunities. We really should. We've had the opportunity to go into some of our city parks and just kind of randomly engage strangers with conversation and and to share Jesus with them. We're going to keep doing those things, right? Well, that was could be a little little more responsive to that, but yeah. Um, we participated, ooh, it was a bit two months ago in the cleanup campaign in uh, Norwalk. I drove down that street the other day in my car and uh, was just kind of reliving that day. What a great day that was. You know, kind of getting our hands dirty for Jesus and uh, engaging people in conversation. I shared with you my conversation with the mayor that day and the guy who directs uh, public services. Um, what a great opportunity. Um, we're going to continue to look for those kind of opportunities because people need to hear about the real Jesus. We're going to continue to do that. We've been over at the uh, Saturday morning um, farm, what called, farmer's market over at City Hall. I think we've been there three times, Ben. I've lost track. Um, what, what a great opportunity. All these people are there. They're kind of walking around and shopping. And uh, we set up at tables and easy up. And a couple weeks ago... I guess it was just one week ago. Uh, We were painting pumpkins and and doing some things. So we had some donuts, of course. you got to have donuts, right? Um, Water and donuts. Uh, We didn't have any coffee, which that was a disappointment to me, but uh, maybe next time. Uh, But we had great opportunity to engage people in conversation. We want people to know about the real Jesus. The Jesus that's proclaimed in in this book. We want people to know. And so all of that's going to continue, right? All that's going to continue, and and maybe even more. God's call in your life and my life is to faithfully communicate to people. Sharing with them God's love, God's care. Sharing with them about Jesus. Sharing with them about forgiveness of sin, eternal life, all because of Jesus. And and that just is going to continue and continue. You know, the Lord, for some reason, has given us favor, I believe, with the city of Norwalk. This is our home turf. And we're going to continue to go beyond that home turf. You know, Jesus said we're going to go to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. But our home turf, I believe God is giving us favor with our city. I had that encounter with the mayor, what, two months ago at the cleanup day. Kind of a random encounter a week ago Saturday at the farmer's market with the Relay for Life was there. And I was walking around the outer edge of the relay. And uh, the mayor came walking up alongside me. She was walking in the Relay for Life. And to recognize me, and we got to talk for three or four minutes as she walked along. Um, I got a phone call this week from her, well actually not from her, but from one of the people in the city, asking me to come and pray before the city council meeting this Tuesday. And I was just going, Lord, you're, you're opening doors, you're going to continue to open doors. Pray about Tuesday night, 5 p.m. I think, I'm going to be on, okay? And... Uh, I think God has a great, amazing future for us. If we stay faithful 
to who Jesus is and what he's done. Because there's coming a day of what I want to call final, final jeopardy. There's coming a day of God's ultimate judgment that the scriptures call the great white throne judgment. There's coming a day of final, final jeopardy. It might be embarrassing to miss a question at the Jeopardy TV show, but if you get it wrong at the end, the final, final jeopardy, the consequences are disastrous. And so this morning... Are you confident in your heart of hearts? Are you confident in your heart of hearts that you have placed your faith, your trust in the real Jesus? Not a made-up Jesus, not one you've kind of created in in your own thought processes, but are, are, are you confident this morning that your faith and trust is in the real Jesus? Are you on track with Peter when he says, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, you're God's son, you're Savior? Can you nail that question like Peter did? Nothing more critical than the answer to that question. And then, if you have your faith placed in the real Jesus, the correct Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, then the response to that that Jesus declares in this portion of Scripture, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, I don't know what that means in your life, what that means that you surrender to him, what that means in your life that you change, what that means in your life as you continue a life of repentance and turning from sin to follow Jesus. But my prayer is that together we'll love Jesus a little more, follow him a little more closely, and be the men and women of God that he calls us to be. Because we're going to follow the real Jesus, right? We're going to obey the real Jesus. God is at work in your life and my life causing all things to work together for good. Whatever it is in your life today, good, bad, or indifferent, we kind of place the label on stuff as bad. I think sometimes the things we call bad, God intends for good, right? Paul said all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose, who He's predestined, foreknown, that we might be what? conform to the image of His Son. And I believe, personally, that's the good that is promised in Romans 8.28. That God causes all things to work together for good, and the best in your life, the good in your life, and the good in my life, and the best in my life, is progressively becoming a little bit more like Jesus. The real Jesus. The correct one. Lord, thank you. I thank you for this response of Peter. I thank you for the privilege that we have of continuing to embrace that response in our own lives. And I would simply ask this morning, pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's yet to come to that place of correctly identifying Jesus. 
understanding Him as Messiah, Savior from sin, Son of God. If you would just cause that one this morning to just come to you, to seek you, to turn to you. Maybe even to come to one of us and, and ask questions and pursue that. Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a people that are accurately declaring truth about Jesus. Because the world we live in is misled, misguided, deceived. Help us, guide us, motivate us, encourage us to faithfully proclaim this Jesus to a world that needs to know Him, needs to know forgiveness of sin, needs to find eternal life. We want to be that kind of people. We want to be that kind of church. Help us to do that well is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.
life is worth the living, right? Just because he lives. That's a great reminder and a great promise. Lots of good stuff in your bulletin. I know you all know how to read, but let me just remind you, there's a note in there about Operation Christmas Child. I think the boxes are going to be here, I think, next week, and uh, we'll be passing those out, giving you opportunity to glorify Jesus and reach some lost children with the message of the gospel. You'll also find a note in your your bulletin that Karis women are raising money. Uh, to support uh, teenage girls in foster care. And uh, their goal is a, a goal of $25 for each girl. And I'm sure if you can give 5 or 10, they can put those together and they know the math, how to make that equal 25. But uh, that's in your bulletin. What else is in there of importance? Boxes, Karis, women. Turn your clock back next Saturday night, right? One of my friends told me it's, it's fall forward, right? I go, what? No. Fall back. There you go. There you go. Um, Tom has a birthday next Sunday, so you might just kind of wish Tom a happy birthday. That'd be good. Two meetings are taking place um, after our worship service. Our church congregational meeting will meet over in the first classroom. Uh, we'll talk about the last quarter uh, finances and business updates from different ministries. So you want to come and be a part of that. Our search team is meeting immediately after that uh, together, trying to answer some questions. We're making progress, believe it or not, and uh, hoping to be able to bring some news to you soon. But uh, we're meeting this afternoon, and your job while we meet is... Great. There you go. So do that. Come and join us at our business time. Have a great week. Tell someone this week about the real Jesus. Can you do that? Amen. God bless.